Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Brother, it's always good to have you back this week. Um, I, I think we, we've we just wrapped up a long series of podcast episodes, if guys are just tuning in, on uh, dangerous doctrines that come from charismatic theology and the charismatic church. Uh, I, I found those even just helpful for myself, kind of going back through the scriptures and asking questions about the, the gifts, the miraculous sign gifts that we saw in scripture. And, and today, in some ways... Um, it's kind of piggyback off of the 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 thought of you know guarding against false doctrines or guarding against unsound biblical teachings. And so today we want to talk about principles for church partnerships. Um, and uh, that was a great title you came up with, Eki. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what what we want to talk about today. Um, it, you know, it's interesting in the Western world, um, and maybe you have a different opinion. So it would be it would be interesting to to get your take on this, when I kind of look at the church broadly in, in the U.S., or maybe just in the whole Western world, it seems to me that over the last, you know, maybe maybe it's been four, maybe five decades even, um, this kind of moved to a very ecumenical sort of mindset that basically says we need to partner with anyone and everyone for the sake of unity, as long as they claim to be a Christian. And of course, that's, you know, uh, led us into some troubled waters, I think. Uh, what, what's your view on that? Do you see that as still being an issue today? Do you think it's an old issue? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think when you look back over history, you see the pendulum swing one way and then the other. And at the start of the 1900s, you had a division between the fundamentalists and the Christian liberals, and they really did call themselves Christian liberals. Um, these Christian liberals denied the inerrancy, the authority, the sufficiency of scripture. They started up more social justice-oriented movements, and then you had on the other side the fundamentalists who would completely separate themselves from them because they did believe in the miracles and the inerrancy, authority, sufficiency of scripture. And then at some point, probably in the mid-1900s, I would say when the evangelical movement got started— the evangelical movement tried to be kind of a third way, where they would hold to the foundations of the fundamentalists, but they also wanted to open the door to fellowship and conversations with uh, Christian liberals. And so I, I would say, thinking back, it probably goes back to that and the growth of that movement and people not wanting to offend others, but wanting to include everyone in the conversation. And it may have certainly spiked even more over the last uh, few decades. I'm not sure I'd be able to pinpoint a specific decade in which it happened, but I think we are living in a time now where people forget, for example, why we are Protestants. Uh, people forget uh, why we can't partner with, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church. And so those things, uh, we we have a very myopic view of history, um, or we're just simply ignorant of history. And so we have to be thoughtful about that, because in the end of the day, we are here to represent the gospel thinking about Paul, his instruction to the Philippians, his first commandment was to, to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he goes on to say that I want you to see you guys standing together in 
in, in one faith, with one mind, uh, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so if we are going to strive for the faith of the gospel, we must protect the purity of the gospel. And so that's why these conversations matter. Yeah. You mentioned a particular word there that folks may not be familiar with, or maybe they've just heard it in passing. You mentioned third way. Um, if someone were to look that up or third wayism, yeah, kind of talk a little bit more about maybe what that I- idea is, what the ideology is behind that. If you can think of any, you know, kind of major proponents, people who would push that today. Uh, just kind of give us a little bit of explanation about that. Yeah, well, when you when you think back to some of the philosophers, and I can't give specific names off the top of my head, uh, others would be able to do do this, but there were ways of thinking where you start with a thesis and then you come with an antithesis, and then you, from the thesis and the antithesis, you develop a synthesis. So in other words, you you have one group that thinks one way, another group that thinks another way, and there's a group of people that tend to think, well, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. So you got to take this and this, combine them together, and you get what's called your synthesis. And so that's really third wayism. It's this faulty notion. It's this logically fallacious notion that the truth must always be somewhere in the middle. And why do I say that's logically fallacious? Well, because the word of God doesn't choose sides. The word of God comes straight from God. And people will often try to say, well, the word of God says this, and the world says that, so there must be something in the middle. No, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Um, not to say that truth isn't always, is can't be in the middle, somewhere between two opposing viewpoints, but we have to remember that um, the the third way by itself does not, does not convey truth. We have to evaluate um, all positions, and then we have to go to the scriptures to see what the scriptures say, and that's how you determine what the real truth is. Yeah, and you often find uh, modern day proponents of this um, in, you know, either kind of liberal leaning conservative churches. Um, it, you know, often it, it'd be guys who are talking about the need to partner with kind of the the more broader professing Christian community and kind of set our differences aside and come together. And so that yeah. type of language um, it should should kind of raise a red flag. You know, if you go to the, the definition, the textbook definition of ecumenism, um, basically it, it says this, it's the principle or aim of promoting unity among the world's Christian churches. So just on the surface, that sounds like a great thing, right? You can pick out Bible verses yeah. to support the need to be unified with one another. Ephesians is filled with it. Romans has it. Um, I mean, Paul in m- almost every epistle, I think he writes, um, at, at some stage and in some way um, gets to the issue of unity. The problem is that that's not practically how it works in our world. Um, basically, what ecumen- ecumenism really is, is a form of cooperation that sort of ignores local church distinctives and even some major doctrines if they're seen to be divisive which is why you would have Protestant churches working with Catholic churches. Um, it, you know, the, the, the doctrines, the doctrinal difference between the two makes the difference between one being Christian and one not. Um, and yet you would have guys say, oh, well, they profess Christ, they worship the same God, um, and, and so we should set our differences aside. And that's quite dangerous because then we end up partnering with guys who are actually teaching contrary to yeah. the the true gospel 
And so I think a lot of folks in the church today, um, rightfully so, they they want unity. They want to see peace among professing believers. But I think what we lack in the church today in, in a major way is discernment. Um, yeah. it, we want unity and peace so badly that we, we, we've set aside sound doctrine, and largely because we just don't know it anymore. Um, and so what I thought we'd do is just kind of run through several scriptures in the New Testament that really talk about the need to be very particular with who we partner with um, and what doctrines we take in, what doctrines we embrace. Um, yeah, you know, you're the pastor of a local church. I'm the pastor of a local church. And these are things we have to think about, right? Um, who, who who do we partner with? What kind of um, churches do we do local events with, if, if any? Um, should we do those things? And if we should, or if we choose to, how do we measure and gauge the parameters, you know, by which we decide who to do those yeah, things with. And right. so um, maybe we'll get into some of those questions because I, I, I'm sure guys in your church would love to know. I'm sure guys in my church would love to go know. Um, and I don't think it's a conversation that you see many podcasts on, right? How, how do you decide who to partner with these days? Um, but let me just jump in. I, I, I started, I put these in order. So um, if guys listening, you've got your Bible, you can open up to Matthew and we're just going to go uh, keep flipping the pages to the right, um, and we'll kind of talk about them as we go. Matthew 24, 10 through 11 uh, says, And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. I, I, I mean, that's a pretty pointed statement. Um, I wonder if many folks well-meaning good-willed in the church um want to embrace just kind of anyone and everyone because they just don't know or don't realize um the reality that false prophets are going to come in and they're going to deceive those who they can deceive um we're told that over and over in scripture right yeah and i think a lot of this is also worldly influence there's a popular bumper sticker that just about everyone has seen that says coexist, um, mm. that coexist bumper sticker. While I, we wouldn't argue against the principle behind being able to coexist peacefully with people that may disagree with our views. There's a message behind that, that really suggests that we ought to love and embrace every kind of view. And we, as Christians, this is very, this runs counter to, to being discerning. And, and let me say something about ecumenism, because you you had talked about ecumenism and, and the dangers of it. You know, in, in the early church age, ecumenism was much less of an issue. So when you had, for instance, the church councils, you had the ecumenical council of Nicaea, the ecumenical council of Chalcedon. These were ecumenical councils, and they weren't, they, they were helpful at that time because they consisted of church leaders who believed the truth. So ecumenical councils would not be bad if we were more discerning over who is truly a believer and who is not, who is actually standing for the truth of God's word and who is not. So for instance, your church and my church, we, we could probably do something that would be kind of a, a type of ecumenical council or ecumenical event, I, I should say, and there'd be no problem with that. But as we look at this verse here, chapter 24, verse 10 of, of Matthew, um, this reminds me of the warning that Paul gives to the elders in Ephesus, and that might be one of the verses that you've got on your list. Um, but yeah, this this is a reality. And and even, even before this, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives the 
gives the warning about false prophets right after talking about oh, the yeah. wide and narrow gates. And so this reality that there are false prophets that are coming up amongst us, we need to be able to understand God's word to be able to discern it. But this worldly kind of influence and, and ideology of just loving everyone and coexisting everyone with everyone really has kind of neglecting these warnings and also downplaying the danger that that uh, is presented to the church when we entertain people who are walking contrary to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think we'll find a, a lot of the issues come from the fact that people just don't know their Bibles. It, you know, they yeah. don't know what the Scripture says about these things. Um, you can go to a couple of verses before Matthew 24, 4 and 5. You know, Jesus is speaking and he says, see to it that no one deceives you. For yeah. many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And of course, uh, what I read earlier is a carry on from that. And and so, I mean, here's Jesus, you know, teaching that not that this could happen or that it might happen or that it possibly will happen, but this is going to happen. Um, and and so be on guard against it. And, you know, it, it's kind of a double edged sword, like everything else. Um, you can get to where you're so distrusting of anyone that you don't take anyone's claim, um, you know, their profession of Christ on service value. And you look at everyone yeah. with skepticism and suspicion. We, we want to avoid that. But we, we do also want to be cautious, knowing that we have a very real enemy out there. Um, you know, Satan comes to still kill and destroy. And although, you know, for most of us, we're never going to encounter Satan personally, um, but there are dark forces out there and there are false prophets who are under, um, you know, the auspices of Satan and the, the dark kingdom. And they will come into the church and they will bring false doctrines and they will try to deceive people. And so we've got to be on guard from those things. Um, going to Acts 20, chapter 20, 29 through 31 says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you and from among your own selves, men will arise. That's a terrifying thing. Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be watchful, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I mean, that's a heavy warning. Yeah, and this is all it takes is for you to stop being discerning, stop reading your Bible, um, stop discerning with God's word for this to happen and you not know it. Um, I think of Second uh, Corinthians, you might have that on your list too, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. His servants disguises himself as servants uh, of righteousness. And so people that come in as savage wolves, as servants of darkness don't look like what you would expect them to look like they look like one of us and so this is and and here's the other thing too paul is addressing the elders at the location where he spent the most time at i mean he spent more time in ephesus than any other place so this was a very well-taught church you even see that when you get to the book of revelation and you see the seven letters to the seven churches mm -hmm. Ephesus is lauded for their discernment. Now, they had departed from their first love, but they they knew the Word of God. They knew how to discern with the Word of God. So this was, this was a church that did that and did that well. And here, even then, Paul is certain 
that savage wolves are going to arise among them. And and one of the reasons that Paul can be so certain of this is because he understands that Satan is at work. And if you look at the entire Old Testament, this has always been the case in Old Testament history. The failure of the shepherds of the Old Testament, the the, the kings, the, the priests, and the prophets, was that they failed to remain faithful to the true God, and they started to give themselves over to false gods. So we're, we're not any different in terms of those temptations that come upon us, and we can be protected from that if we are constantly in the Word, we are constantly discerning with the Word, and we are challenging things that appear to be foreign to what Scripture says. When when I preach, and I'm sure when you preach, you know the people that I preach to, I tell them often, look, the reason why I give you so many verses, the reason why I do a lot of cross-referencing, I want you to be able to own this for yourself. I want you to be able to go into the Scriptures, look at the Scriptures that I'm referencing, and determine for yourself whether what I'm saying uh, makes sense or not, whether it really aligns with the Word of God or not. And if it doesn't, then you guys need to come talk to me. We we need to have a conversation. If I ever go astray from the gospel, if it ever seems like I'm adding works, you guys need to come talk to me. And if you find that I'm guilty of presenting a false gospel, guess what? It, it's your job to get me out of there. So we need to be discerning. No one's above the law here. No one no one is the the, the Pope, so to speak, like from the Roman Catholic Church, where we claim to speak uh, perfection or, or perfectly to to be um well, what's the word not inerrant but um um infallible infallible yeah that's the word that we we we're, we're not people who are infallible we always have to be held to the word of god and so this is paul helping us to understand why we must always go to the scriptures why we must be for instance like noble Bereans because there're going to be savage wolves that come up amongst us and we need to be able to identify them and and be able to rightly address it. Now, let's just kind of bring this into like the brass tacks of the local church. So when, you, you know, obviously you you know these verses, you've studied them, you've contemplated them um, as, you know, as an elder in the church, as a pastor, as a shepherd in the church. It, it's not only just that you should guard your own heart. It, it's your duty. It's the elder's responsibility to guard the sheep from these things. And so when when you think of, you know, local events or what uh, Bible studies to bring into the church or what materials to bring in, just kind of in general, like what are some of the things you're thinking about um, in terms of guarding your, your church, guarding your people? Um, just maybe just kind of walk us through a, a simple thought process when you're looking at those things. Yeah, for, for the pastor of the church, you are looking to protect your flock, and you want to be sure that they can be guarded from anything that might cause them to slip or to start to wander into falsehood. And some of this, some of this is going to be um, how how well you know your flock, what um, what what you where you think they still might need to grow and whatnot. But in terms of partnerships, what what is it? What is the partnership? I mean. Is it um, is it coming together for a Bible study? Is it uh, coming together for an evangelistic event? Is it a, a worship, uh, maybe a a concert or a time of worship together, um, or you know some something of that nature? And uh, I would have to look at the church. What is it that they teach? I I'm not going to partner with a church that I have no knowledge of. And certainly, if there are churches that I know, but I, I I know that they preach the true gospel, but there may be secondary or tertiary issues that we disagree upon. Well, that, that's going to require a little bit more thought in terms of what we're what we're partnering in. So, 
For instance, we just got through with our series. I'm talking about the podcast here, talking about uh, cessationism, charis- charismatics, and some of the uh, dangers that come from the Pentecostal movement. Um, there are churches local to me whom I know are preaching the true gospel, but are open, for instance, to the gift of tongues. Well, I mean, if we're going to come together and do a series on 1 Corinthians, well, I'm not going to do that, right? Because I, I know that there's going to be different ideas that come from you know, perhaps that church than what I believe is the truth of First Corinthians. Um, but if we were to come together for simply just proclaiming the gospel, yeah, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. You know, or, <clears throat> you know, you look at churches like Bethel and Bill Johnson when he makes a statement that, you know, <clears throat> he might give the true gospel and then add on top of that, but you must believe that you're going to be healed today at this moment. Mm. What well, for him to make a statement like that is to is to add to the gospel. And and certainly I'm not going to want to do any kind of partnership with any kind of church whose gospel is questionable, you know, or, or a church that entertains the idea of modern day apostles. Um, there actually may be a good gospel coming out of there, but there, there's such there, there's such an entertainment of, of wolves and, and false teaching that I would I would just not do that. So you gotta you gotta look at the event. Um, what what kind of what what is the event for? What does the church believe? And in evaluating any other church, it always has to start with their position on the gospel. Do they believe it? Do they proclaim it? Do they understand that is the most important message that we can give to an unbelieving world? There are some churches that appear to believe the right gospel, but they don't emphasize it. Um, they they don't bring it up very often, and their emphasis might be on things like social justice or mm-hmm. things of a of, of worldly nature. You know, And so that, that will cause me some concern as well. So just remember that whenever you partner with another church, you're going to be exposing the people in your flock um, to possible ideas from another, from another pastor. And, you know, not to say that we can't stand together for the gospel, um, but if you're going to protect your flock, you need to be aware of what's being taught and who they're being exposed to. It's the same thing when we pick up books. You know, you got to know who the author is, what the topic is, uh, what's being taught in that book. And it doesn't mean that every book that you read, you must agree with every single point made in that book. There's very rarely a book where I think I agree with every single point that's made in there. But do you agree with the general principles that are being made? And and do you believe that this is going to build up rather than confuse your flock? And, and so a lot of it is about edification rather than confusion. <clears throat> and again, this is not to put down other churches, but in certain matters, uh, certain areas where I think maybe my my church, my flock <clears throat> is not built up enough or they're not discerning enough in a certain area, you know, I, I may be, for others, I may look like I'm being over, overprotective in those areas. Yeah. And and I think, I, I think you make a good point there just in kind of summarizing that, you know, it's the pastor's desire um, to, to guard and, and protect the flock. And that's very, in some ways, individualistic to each flock, right? And so it's the elders' responsibility to get together and to kind of take a, a, a spiritual assessment of the congregation um, when looking at, you know, different teachings or partnership and saying, okay, if we introduce people to this, look, knowing that in the day and age we live in, if people like the preaching, if they like the teaching, they're going to go look up the church, they're going to listen to more stuff, they're going to go buy the guy's books, um, if I expose my people to this, am I going to be able to stand before God and say, I did what I was supposed to do as a faithful shepherd? Or will I be forced to stand before God and say, I let my guard down, I let wolves in the pen, 
Um, I, I should have done better. Um, and, and so those are the kind of thoughts that I think good pastors are thinking. And y- you may, um, y- you know, you may do things with churches that I wouldn't do things with the same church. Um, and that kind of just largely depends on, again, like you said, where, where, where your individual flock is, where the people in the church are. Um, I'm, I'm far less likely to do anything with anyone charismatic. In fact, I won't. Um, and I, and I have reasons for that. Um, and I wouldn't belittle another church if they said, okay, well, you know, within the parameters of our church and the way things are, we could partner with this church who, you know, may, maybe they have some slight continuationist leanings. Um, I, I'm a little more reserved about that and that's okay. Um, and then at, at, and, and then there are exceptions, right? Um, I, I think when people can know where the areas are, it's fine. Um, you know, I think of like John Piper and I'll just use him because I do have a lot of respect for John Piper. He's a continuationist. Um, I don't send immature believers to John Piper and I never will. Um, guys who are just learning and growing in the faith, I wouldn't recommend John Piper. And the reason I don't is just very simply because, um, of his continuationist beliefs and where he's really good. You can find other guys who won't confuse you with that stuff. But then if I'm talking to someone who's more mature and they're set in the faith and they have an understanding of what we even mean by continuationism or cessationism, um, you, you know, then I'm, I'm very happy uh, for them to, to, to go to John Piper. I mean, he has some extraordinary um, teachings, uh, just things that have really yeah. e- even blessed me. And so I have a lot of respect for him, but I just use him in places where I, I'm trying to be conscious of where where my people are. Um, and that's not to say, you know, I tell people he's absolutely off limits. Like we don't have that authority as pastors. It's just to say because of some beliefs, I think maybe you should put him on the shelf for now um, and come back to him when when you're a little more solid in the faith. Maybe when, you know, you've got the fundamentals down and things like that. And and those are the kind of things I think about also when we bring any teachings into the church or, you know, if we were going to do any kind of celebratory things. Um, and in fact, I had a recent thing come up, and and this is the very reason why we didn't participate. Um, I got an invitation for a local Thanksgiving thing in our area here in Hera. And I got a phone call. So I'm sitting at my desk and uh, I pick up the phone and um, this lady an- answers the phone and I, you know, go through the whole, you know, hello, spill, whatever, whatever. And she says, this is pastor so-and-so from such and such church. And um, and so I gave her a spill and she invited me and basically all the churches are getting together um, you know, and, and, and if obviously, uh, I, I'm not going to be involved in that. So it was a whole big kind of ecumenical thing. And I'm sure yeah. that made me probably seem, um, offish or whatever, but I'm not going to expose my people to something where, um, in that case, I mean, there's no clearer sign of God's judgment in my mind on a church than a woman pastor, so-called, um, open blatant rebellion, and or ignorance, maybe both. Um, and, and so I'm just not going to do those things because I care about the church. You don't do those things because you care about the church. And so um, I, I want to continue on in some passages here. But I mean, that's 
I think it's good for people to hear kind of a pastor's thought process and why they do what they do. Yeah. And you know what? For me, um, and it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. For me, if I have to err on one side or the other, I would rather err on being slightly too cautious with who yeah. I expose my church to. Um, I can always correct that later, um, but but I never want to have to deal with the other side. And so are there potential things that maybe we could do or I could do um, teachings that I could use and bring in? Sure, that's probably true. But in most cases, you can find equal teaching uh, without the problematic areas. And so I tend to lean towards that side. Is that kind of your view or how do, how do you think about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the example of John Piper is a good one. Uh, John Piper is brilliant. He's been very helpful to the church in many ways, but there are areas where I think he's not as clear as he should be or not um, not as discerning as he should be. Um, so that, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, our, our goal with the flock is to grow them in their discernment. And if someone is mature in his or her discernment, I'm going to be less concerned about them going to and, and reading something from a John Piper. But someone who's uh, who's brand new, um, when you start to read about Piper's view on continuationism, or he has this kind of view on final justification that kind of starts to sound a little bit more like works, uh, works righteousness, um, then I would say it's going to be more confusing than helpful. But uh, for instance, uh, someone is growing in their maturity and they're starting to interact with N.T. Wright, and N.T. Wright has this different uh, view of what justification means in the book of Romans. Well, John Piper has done a great job of addressing that. You know, he's gone through N.T. Wright's uh, writings and he's provided great counterpoints, extremely, extremely well done. And uh, Piper um, has has uh, given a lot of good thoughts in terms of desiring God, making God really the source of your joy um, and your contentment. But yeah, there are other areas where you kind of scratch your head. Uh, Matt Chandler is another guy. Matt Chandler is one that uh, at one time I would have considered him trustworthy. He's kind of um, gone in different directions when it comes to um, egalitarianism. You know, he's got female teachers at his church. He's he started to embrace the charismatic gifts. Um, and probably even most concerning more than that is his really embrace of critical race theory and Black Lives Matter and, and all that kind of movement. You know, there there may be a lot of truth that comes from him, but you kind of question the discernment in other areas. So where there was uh, a local church nearby that I heard they were doing kind of this marriage seminar and they were using materials from Matt Chandler, um, I was comfortable enough with the pastor that I sent him an email and said, hey, you might want to be aware of what's going on with Matt Chandler. Um, just, just know this, because when people are exposed to someone like a Matt Chandler, he's a great speaker. Um, he's he's very... Um, you know he he's he's very approachable. He he's, he's very dynamic in his speech, and and there's gonna be a lot of people that see him. They're they're gonna think, wow, this is this guy's really good. I should start listening to more of his stuff. And then they get exposed to more of his stuff, and a lot of that stuff is not very good. So a, a lot of this too is just as we go back to before, we don't want to confuse our flock. We want them to be able to grow in discernment. As they grow in discernment, eventually they can read and hear from just about anyone and be fine. You know, we as seminarians, when we go through seminary, we have to read a lot of different books from a lot of different authors. In fact, we can't even write a paper without interacting with people who disagree with with our position, even if they're complete heretics, right? So we have to we have to be able to do that, but it requires a certain um, a, a certain maturity and, and discernment to be able to always go back to the scriptures 
um, and be able to evaluate um, what good is coming out of that while filtering out the bad. And then I think for people that are brand new believers, they, they're not able to do that. And one more example, and we've mentioned this before, but Kanye West, you know, Kanye West, when he first uh, professed faith in Christ, <clears throat> the mm-hmm. biggest concern was there is that he's getting all this media attention, he's getting all this publicity, and he's a brand new believer. And me and I'm sure you and so many other people are saying that what he really needs to do is be discipled. He needs to be actively discipled, get himself out of the limelight until he can reach a certain kind of maturity. But he didn't do that. And it didn't take long before he started to embrace people and and ideas that were simply unbiblical. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely good examples. And in fact, it just kind of leads us into the next one. Second Corinthians 10, four through five says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh. And I want people to listen very carefully to this passage, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and take everything captive to the obedience of Christ. And of course he continues on. And, and I, I appreciate that passage, and I think it's helpful for people to understand that this is actually the the role of uh, of the elders in the church, but not just the elders, every Christian. It's not that we're just defensive. We're also meant to be offensive. We do, in fact, tear down speculations. And so we're talking about speculations. These are philosophies, thoughts, teachings. and and you know the the battle, the faith is really the battle over the mind. And that's where all these things come from, right? Um, And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And so this is why, like, if people wonder um, why good pastors will not only just steer people away from certain things, but even attack those beliefs, right, biblically and say that, you know, this is a heresy, um, you know, we don't add to we don't add to add works to faith. If you do, you know, it, it's a different gospel. And it's why we do things like point out by name the fact that the Roman Catholic Church is not Christian church. Um, it is an apostate heretical system because it teaches that faith is not by um, or that salvation is not, you know, by grace through faith in Christ alone, but in addition to must have good works. And of course, there's all kinds of other problems in the Catholic Church, but that one alone. And in fact, we did a podcast on Is the Catholic Church Christian, where we actually read through the some of the official positions and doctrines of the Catholic Church. And one of those positions is that they actually anathematize anyone who believes yeah. in salvation yeah. by faith alone. Anathematize right. means to be damned. Um, and, and so that is their official position. And so it's not only our responsibility to say, no, we need to stay away from the Catholic Church. We, we actually tear down their false beliefs by bringing the word of God to bear on it and exposing um, the, the, the faultiness in, in that. And we have to do that with other things as well. Yeah, I just, in fact, this past uh, Sunday uh, in my sermon, I brought up the Roman Catholic Church as an example of a church that muddies the gospel. Um, They muddy the gospel, they end up distorting it, um, preaching a a false gospel. And the reason why we can't partner with them is that reason exactly. And to your point, uh, following the Reformation, and we think about the Reformation, 1517, Martin Luther, and the 95 Theses, 
And not to say that that's when it started, but there was a lot of events leading up to that. But anyway, the Protestant uh, denomination really kind of took shape uh, following that. And and really, when we talk about the Reformation, Martin Luther's original goal was not to create a new denomination. His original goal was to reform what uh, what had been tainted within the Roman Catholic Church. And then he came to find out that um, that the, the things that he was taking offense to, such as indulgences, actually had the full backing of the Pope all the way to the top. And so as they started to break away, the Roman Catholic Church then held the Council of Trent, and they pronounced all these anathemas, as you mentioned, one of them, if anyone believes in justification by faith alone, they are to be anathematized, they are to be accursed. The other one was, if anyone believes that salvation can come from anywhere else other than the Roman Catholic Church, they are also likewise to be anathematized. So they they take on a very serious and a very cultish, I mean, in fact, they are a giant cult, they, they take on a very cult-like position in saying that you have to be at their church. Now, how's that different from us? Well, I don't say that you have to be at Western Avenue Baptist Church in order for you to be saved. I don't even say that you have to be a Baptist in order to be saved. What I say is that you need to put your faith into Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, and you have repented and, and turned towards him, then you have salvation. And so the 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 mindset of the Roman Catholic Church and, and the way that people can spend their entire lives going to the going to church uh, a Roman Catholic Church and not even know and understand the gospel is a serious serious issue but that has gone on for for centuries um that that has gone on for a long time leading up to the reformation they they would not allow the the bible to be translated into the common languages you had to go through their clergy yeah. in order to hear the word of god and you see the fruit of that the fruit of that is that when people attend the Roman Catholic Church they don't know the gospel and that is a really Serious. That that is the most serious issue that you can make as a church and and as a pastor or preacher. Yeah, and, and so you shouldn't see any Protestant church partnering with the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, because you're exposing people to an, another gospel. And I mean, as we've been reading in some of these passages, it's pretty clear that not only are we supposed to not do that, but we're we're supposed to expose the faultiness of that. You know, Galatians is so interesting. Paul in chapter three. I mean, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And, and so, I mean, here's a here's a church that they heard the gospel preached by Paul. They received the, the 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 true gospel. They were you know made new. And somewhere along the line, presumably Judaizers, just based on the language here, came in and have attempted to add works, and they they bought into it, right? I mean, this is a corrective part of the letter. Um, and he's saying, look, you didn't receive you know your salvation through work. So what? Why are you now? trying to perfect your salvation by works. No. Um, it's just another good example of how easily we as people can be led astray if we're not careful and on guard. And I mean, how many times does, it, that would be an interesting study to see how many times Paul in all his epistles um, actually addresses a false doctrine that has crept in. How many times he corrects the body of Christ? He no. does it a lot, right? In almost every letter, maybe. Um, if not every letter. And so we see that on and on. In Ephesians 5.11, he says, do not participate 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. I think this really, especially in the South, um, where there's this idea of the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. This passage really flies in the face of that. Um, Do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but he goes even further, instead even expose them. And this doesn't mean that we have to be um, combative, that we have to be nasty and hateful with people. That's not the the opposite of nice. But this idea of not confronting false beliefs or false doctrines that you do find more prevalent in the South. New Yorkers have no problem with this. Um, you know, but when, but as you you creep down further in the South, there's kind of this idea of, you know, I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone, and and we're all all okay, although we know there are some things happening that shouldn't be happening. And and again, this is a, this is something that a pastor has to be engaged in. Um, now, I don't think, and and we're both expositors, so we're we're in the text every Sunday. Our aim is not to be exposing false teachers and false doctrines every Sunday. When the text lends itself to an appropriate example, I'm sure we both take that opportunity to use it. Um, but for the most part. Uh, the only time I would even bring these things up in a sermon is if I know they're um, starting to influence the people in, in my church. Maybe there's a heretical church nearby um, and and they're, you know, they're they're large and they have an impact. Um, I don't know. Maybe all of a sudden Joel Osteen sends a case of books to our front doorstep or something. I don't know. Whatever the case is. Um, but there has to be times where we expose these things. Uh, you mentioned Martin Luther. We're actually on our Wednesday nights uh, going through church history. We started that in October and uh, started with John Wycliffe and just going through from John Wycliffe on. Yeah. We actually will get to Martin Luther this Wednesday. Um, and, you know, it's just during this whole time. We're talking about false doctrine and false teachers and false teaching, yeah. not just the Catholic Church, because. You know, I mean, we we have a large Catholic church, um, otherwise known as a large mission field just down the road from where we are here in uh, Oklahoma. But they're not normally the most dangerous uh, in terms of the Protestant church for the most part, especially not in churches like ours. I think it's more the kind of other subtle stuff, the social justice stuff, the feminism stuff, um, the kind of we all should be nice and partner with everyone else stuff i think is often where the more the, the where where the danger comes from at least from my uh perspective uh i want to move through some of these passages and let you comment on them colossians 2 4 through 8 i say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument for even though i'm absent in body nevertheless i am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in, in him and having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Here we have again, you know, the admonition to be on guard about what we're reading, what we're taking in, what we're exposing ourselves to. 
Yeah, verse four talks about persuasive arguments, and the, these are persuasive arguments that go against what Scripture says. And and this is to remind us that falsehood can be very persuasive. People can make falsehood sound very appealing, even logical, right? Uh, but we have to always go back to the scriptures. And verse 8, in fact, verse 8 says, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men. We are surrounded by philosophy and empty decep- deception and the traditions of men all around us. We've had podcast episodes on things like psychology. We've had podcast episodes on things like social justice, critical race theory. The, these are all things that are not rooted in the Bible, but these are the ideas of men that have invaded the church. And in the process, many people have allowed their theology, their understanding of what the Bible teaches um, to be polluted, um, to, to be per- perverted even. And I, I was just looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 14. Verse 11 talks about how Jesus Christ gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. But verse 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Our love for God and his word is going to be tested by how firmly we hold to it, even in the face of very persuasive arguments. And there are a lot of people that will call themselves Christians today, but they don't believe all that the Word of God says, or they believe it, but don't believe it holds any value or holds any weight today. And they they believe that, hey, this is, we're, we're in the 21st century now, we're now 2023, you really still hold on to that stuff? And, and statements like that is exactly... Um, the the kind of, it reflects the kind of attitude of people that don't fully trust that God's word is is absolutely essential for the believer in every age, no matter where or when you lived. And if you don't hold on to God's word, you're going to be held captive by the world. You're going to be thrown aside. And so, when people, for instance, embrace psychology, when they embrace the ideas of psychology and believe that every problem traces back to a psychological issue, well, you stop. You stop recognizing the role that sin has in the believer's life. You stop recognizing that people have a choice to make when they cope with difficult situations. And and when you stop recognizing that, you start to excuse sin. And and you might believe the true gospel, but if you start to embrace these kinds of ideas, you're not going to be useful in the kingdom of heaven because you're going to be held captive to therapists who don't believe in the Word of God. You're going to be held captive to ideas in the world that have nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with Scripture, and, and you're, going to be, you're going to be giving yourselves over to people who are going to diagnose and assess your problems without ever going to Scripture, without any understanding of the depravity of man, but rather convincing you that your problems are somewhere else, that you don't need to take responsibility, that it's because of what someone else has done to you and really breed within you a kind of victim's mindset. So that's just one example of how you can be taken captive by the world's philosophies and ideologies if you don't hold fast to what the Word of God says. Yeah, and I think that's a really good example of an area that the church is in dire need of discernment. You know, when when you realize that the, the state— the, the whole U.S. government. It's not that um, these secular counselors um, are, are, are necessarily against Scripture, although if they're not Christian, they are. They have to sign and agree to not use 
those materials because they they they're, they're not allowed to bring in their own faith. They're not allowed to bring in their own ideas. And I'm paraphrasing, but if you were to look at the documentation of a licensed therapist, what they had to sign to get their state license, what you're going to find is language that essentially communicates this. It is your role not to insert any ideas into the person's mind, but to help uh, them navigate their way through their problem by finding the answer within themselves. That That's effectively the mm-hmm. link that what you're going to find communicated in yep. the language. I've read several of these. And so the whole system is designed to keep, um, whether it's intentional or not, I, I doubt it specifically, but certainly the, the forces of evil, I think, no. Uh, but it, it's, it intentionally keeps the, the truth of scripture at bay. And so, Discernment would say, okay, then I never really could go to a worldly um, or secular counselor and truly get the truth and help that I'm needing to deal with my issue. Because if they have any integrity, that they've agreed not to do that. Um, and, and so it's just one of those one of one of those issues. Uh, let me kind of just in rapid form here go through uh, Timothy and Titus because again, I think. If as people are thinking about how their elders maybe are guarding them, protecting them, or even their own responsibility, because it's each Christian's responsibility to not only guard himself and him and and his family, but we actually are keepers of our brothers um, to look after one another if we love one another. Second Timothy three. Um, listen, listen to Paul giving Timothy instructions here. It's quite pointed, actually. This is the role of a pastor. He says. But know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but having denied its power. Keep away from such men as these. And that would include ministries, other churches. If these things characterize a group or a church or um, some or or, or even uh, where we're getting our music from, if it characterizes the group that that's coming from, keep away from such men. He says, for among them are those who enter into households and take captive weak women weighed down with sins being led on by various desires, always learning and never able to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Uh, and then he goes on to name uh, Janice and Jambres, who opposed Moses, right? Um, men of depraved mind, disqualified in regard to the faith. Second Timothy 4, the next chapter. Um, I mean, Paul barely takes a breath and he's at it again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Titus, Paul to Titus 1, 13, 14. He said this testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they will be sound in faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. I mean, time and time again, the pastoral epistles, you you have Paul not only um, admonishing the men to guard 
themselves and guard their flocks, but even to expose and reprove the men who teach these false things. If a pastor is not doing these things at the appropriate times, he is not being a faithful shepherd. Um, and, and that's just part of the job. It's not the nicest part of the job, but no. it's a part of the job. Yeah, the, these pastoral epistles, we call them pastoral epistles because Paul is addressing those who are leaders. Um, Titus was um, sent to the, I believe, the island of Crete in order to establish elders at various places. Timothy ended up being a pastor in Ephesus, the very place that Paul had spent so much time in himself. And, and so these were leaders. And so this is, if you want to get an inside look of how Paul did his version of seminary, well, look at those letters and, and look at how often he emphasizes the Word of God. And even when you quoted Second um, Timothy chapter 4 about there's going to come a time where people will seek out teachers who will who will tickle their ears, that comes right after Paul's exhortation to Timothy to preach the Word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great yeah. patience and, and instruction. And so these this is foundational to ministry and this is why whenever you're evaluating a church you want to start the evaluation with what is being taught behind the pulpit i don't care how good all the other ministries look i don't care how nice the music sounds i don't care how enticing the youth ministry is i i don't even care as much about the quality of the people if the preaching behind the pulpit is false right so you, you need to start uh, whenever you're evaluating a church and then when you are seeking to build up your church, it has to start with faithful preaching, going through these verses. And it's amazing that when we go through these verses, I, I think what we're pointing out here with all these verses that you have mentioned here, Nathaniel, is that this is not isolated. This is not like Paul just had kind of a little side note where he says, hey, and by the way, be sure you look at this. This is emphasized all throughout Scripture, all throughout his letters, everywhere. And yet it's amazing that so many Christians do not heed these things, and they don't heed these things because they don't fully understand Scripture, and they don't fully understand Scripture because they're not being taught well, and they're not being taught well because there just simply aren't enough churches that are faithfully proclaiming the Word of God verse by verse in its context the way it's intended to be understood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then the the last one I have is First John four one. He's, John says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits." And this isn't a pastoral epistle. This is just to the saints. But test yeah. the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And and so it's a good point. It, you know, and that was the kind of the idea of just you know going through so many New Testament books where Paul saying guard against, guard against, guard against. Um, and, and you're right. I think it's worth saying again um, what to look for in a church. And the pulpit absolutely is the first place. And I would even argue that if everything else in the church is a little off, if the pulpit is right, things will gradually start yeah. getting in yeah. line with Scripture. Um, right. And so I, far too many people... You know, I, I remember, um, it's really actually quite a sad testimony. I remember Vody Bauckham in one of his sermons talking about how he would have people come to him. And if you don't know Vody Bauckham, I mean, he's, you know, he's a good one to listen to, incredible sermons. But um, it, he would have people come to his church, I think he was in Texas at the time, and say, wow, the teaching here is just unlike anything I've ever heard, but um, we just we just really don't get much out of the music. And so we're going to go to this other church. Um, 
that just shows the wrong heart, right? If, if music is your primary concern, then you really should just ask yourself if you have a genuine love for the word of God. And if you don't, maybe you should ask yourself whether or not you're a Christian. Um, the, the word of God, you know, we always say that phrase as the pulpit goes, so goes the church. Um, and, and we say that because it's the word of God that the power of God comes and changes the people of God. Um, and so if the pulpit is right, um, then the, the church will over time shift where it needs to shift and become more in line with, with scripture, um, Heaven forbid you leave a sound church because you like the music somewhere else. Uh, what a no. terrible, um, immature way to pick a church. And, and you know, the reason the pulpit is so important is just the reasons we've been talking about, right? If, if the pulpit isn't solid, then the chances that you're being guarded from false doctrine, false teaching are slim to none. In fact, it may even be coming from that pulpit. And so, yeah, absolutely worth bringing up. Um, and it, as we kind of end here, I think it's a good opportunity to uh, kind of help people, I hope, see, one, what the role of the elders, or at least part of the role of the elders are. Um, and this is all of the elders in a church should be doing this, right? Um, looking after the people. But I think it's a good opportunity to see so so much of it in Scripture that it's an individual's uh, responsibility too, right? When you go into a book study, I mean, if you're in my church and we're doing a book study on something, you know, I want people to be thinking, okay, who's this author? What's their background? What do they believe? Yeah. What do they teach? Did did the elders vet this book? Like, I mean, I want people who think like that. Um, and And I want people who might catch things we've missed, right? Hey, pastor, did you know that the author of this book is teaching this kind of thing? Um, You know, we're human. We miss things, right? Um, And so the healthier the body is, um, it it just, it promotes more health. It guards the church further. And I never want anyone, and I'm sure you're the same, for out of fear of not being nice, not to bring something like that to our attention, um, that's how, that's one of the many ways we love one another is to say, yeah. Hey, I'm really sure, you know, we should be reading, studying this. Can, can you help me understand why we're using this book? Um, I think it requires a, the, the right attitude, but the question is valid whether the attitude is right or not. Right. Um, it's hopefully we've been thinking through that. And I think this kind of brings me to sort of the last thing, um, that could be helpful. And we'll let you comment on that. And, um, if if pastors are listening and they're like, man, I know this is our role, but this is overwhelming. I, I would say I agree. <laughs> um, but it's kind of the weight of the call, right? It's our job to always be vigilant and watching and guarding. Um, you know, that that's why it's a call from God and not just something we volunteer to do. Uh, but I would say there are ways to Hope make this easier, practical ways. And one suggestion I would give, which I do myself, um, is I try to just pick a handful of ministries, just a couple ministries that provide resources that, you know, that platform people, and I'll name them in a second, um, and 
look at their stuff, know where you agree and disagree, and just use them for a season. It's okay that you aren't partnering with or bringing in stuff from 18 different sources. It's more important that you trust um, the the sources that you're, you're getting things from. And so like for me, I, you know, I'm new at the church here and the elders are very gracious and they love the people and we're guarding the flock together. And one of the things we're talking about is just sort of tightening up the various areas. And so when I think of safe areas, if if you're a new pastor or maybe you just don't have the manpower to look and read every single thing that comes in your church, pick a couple good ministries. Um, Grace Community Church. I mean, I, I'm not actually biased. Um, and Eki, you're probably not either. The The reason I went and I'm in the seminary there, the reason I wanted to be in the program there is because they're a place I can trust. I didn't come to trust them because I was there. I went there because I trust them, because they have a history of being faithful. Um, and so I would happily send our people uh, to materials from Grace to You, from Grace Community Church, from Shepherd's Conference. Do I agree with everything that's taught there? Of course not. It, you're not going to have that with any human. Um, no. But I know the areas that we differ in, and they're not major issues, and they're easy enough to just say, well, you know, I take a slightly different view here, um, and it's not a problem, but I can trust what's coming from them, you know, at this point in time. G3 Ministries for me is another one. Um, yes, I write for G3, uh, and I'm I'm very grateful that they they publish articles that I write, but I, I wouldn't have um I wouldn't have done that if I didn't trust the ministry overall. Do they platform some people I don't agree I don't agree with everything? Yes. Um but I know where the disagreements are. And I know, um, you know, and and so for me, it's still a safe place. I can say, here are the few areas that we disagree, so just be aware here. Otherwise, go for it. And so in my mind, between those two ministries, and let's just be real honest, um, even if you just had one ministry, Grace to You puts out a lot of stuff. And they they host a lot of speakers. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just use them, you would have a huge diverse um, platform to pull from that would be good and safe. And I, I'm not trying to just promote, you know, a Grace Community Church, but I want to make the point that it's okay um, to start with just a few places that you trust and you know are safe. And other people might have different recommendation, recommendations for their church. Uh, maybe there's, um, you know, I love Ligonier. Um, and Ligonier has been very gracious to me over the years. Um, and I'll send people there, but I don't, they're not the top of my list. Uh, they're another ministry that I might send people to. Um, and for other guys that they might be number one. Um, but they would also be a ministry that generally speaking, I trust their stuff. We use their things. And so I, I would just encourage pastors, don't be afraid, um, to help walk your people through, look, we're just going to promote this these one or two resources for now. We don't have the manpower to check everything, but it's our duty before God to do that. And so we just need to start with what we know. Uh, I think that's okay. What, what are your thoughts on that? Any other suggestions? 
Yeah, you know what? One of the things I tell people when they're evaluating a church, um, besides just uh, looking at what's being preached behind the pulpit, is reach out to them and find out what kind of authors and speakers do they recommend. And uh, oftentimes, the names that I'll hear from them will tell me where they are theologically and mm-hmm. who they trust. And I've recently in the ch- our church bulletin for about two or three straight weeks. We had a list of people that I said, hey, if you want to go and listen to other people, here's a list of people that uh, you can go and you can trust. So you mentioned Grace Chu, John MacArthur, obviously. I I was saved at that church, so obviously I'm going to have some bias towards them, but I do believe uh, and trust them. Um, Vody Bauckham, you had mentioned him, Paul Washer, Steve Lawson. You know, These are all good men, Alistair Begg. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I usually like to suggest some names that they can go out and start downloading and listening to, because I'd much rather have them listening to them than someone, say, an Andy Stanley or even someone like a, a Matt Chandler. And we, we've had some people that came to our church after they were saved through the movie American Gospel. American Gospel had a lot of mm-hmm. solid people, and some people that now I would not recommend, but there was a number of people that they saw that movie they um they they were transformed by the by the gospel as it was presented to them in that movie and because of that movie they they started to listen to John MacArthur and Paul Washer and people like that um Justin Peters and so <clears throat> when they started to look up churches they wanted to look up churches with the same kind of association and so that's what brought them to us so yeah i, I would agree with that you just start with just a few names and through those few names you're going to start to be exposed to others our women's ministry. Uh, my my wife uh, meets with the women once once a month. They go through a book, and uh, they've gone through a, a book by John MacArthur. They start off by going through a book by Lisa Hughes. That's the wife of um, of Jack Hughes, a very faithful preacher himself. And the last two books they've read were from Jerry Bridges. Um, Jerry Bridges' books, uh, Trusting God, um, Respectable Sins. The Trusting God book, especially, is a book that I often recommend in counseling. And so that's another way that people get exposed to good, solid um, teachers and, and writers. Yeah. And Jerry Bridge is very gifted writer, writes a lot of helpful things that are very directly applicable. And so that's a great place where if you're a layperson and, and just want to understand not only theology, but receive several examples of how that's applied, Jerry Bridges is a great uh, is a great resource. So yeah, it's a good practice to start with a few names that you, you trust and I'll never forget uh, what I heard from one seminary seminary professor when he said that he only recommends people who are already dead. Now, I'm not saying that you have to do that, but I, I see the wisdom of that because you're not worried about whether this person's going to go off off the rails or not. You know, so Martin Lloyd Jones, people like that in, in the past, mm-hmm. great uh, resources to go to. Um, a W Pink, A W Tozer doesn't mean that we agree with everything that they've done, and there were some questionable things that may have happened in their lives at one time or another. Um, but these are solid men of God. And so, yeah, you, you don't don't feel like you have to carry the load all by yourself, um, but rather that the same resources that have helped you and have edified you, use that to recommend to your flock so that they can start reading and being edified as well. <clears throat> I'm thankful that a lot of people in our church do listen to a lot of solid men um, uh, during the week. And it shows I, when we come back together, They'll start to ask me questions that are very well-informed questions. Or when I do a Q&A and I start to provide um, answers to questions, they'll some of them will already answer the question themselves by saying, well, what about this and what about that? And I can tell they're listening to people. And the and when you listen to the right people, you're going to have some, some good sources of teaching and, and preaching. And it's a way that iron sharpens iron um, for us to, to be sharpened in our thinking and in our beliefs, beliefs and our theology. 
So absolutely, start with um, some good faithful men, some good and faithful ministries, and uh, encourage your your flock to to really get as much as possible from those ministries. Yeah, and and you really made a, a good point for me there. Um, if you were to recommend one solid ministry, such as Grace to You or Grace Community Church, uh, every single person we mention, every single person, to Jerry Bridges to A.W. Pink, you would be exposed to through their ministry. Um, and yeah. and so that's why I say, you know, don't don't worry about kind of sometimes I think and I've heard this several times myself, pastors worry about sort of um, people accusing them of staying in a bubble and not going out of, yeah. you know, the, the the bubble, so to speak. But in reality, um, ministries like, you know, Grace to You, they're so vast that it's really not a bubble. Uh, if yeah. you go to their bookstore, you're going to find Puritan, you're going to find A.W. Pink, you're going to find Tozer, you're going to find, you know, yeah. um, just all of these different things. Look at Shepherd's Conference. You've got Presbyterian speaking. You've got yeah. Dutch Reformed yeah. guys speaking. You've mm-hmm. got, you know, um, and and so, but it's a ministry that, I mean, look, I don't know how many elders do they have, 50 or something, um, 30 to 50 elders. And so... They have the manpower that they vetted these things. They they're not perfect either, but um, they've demonstrated themselves to be faithful. And so uh, don't don't worry about being accused of staying in a bubble because that's just not true. It's it can just be good shepherding, especially if you have a growing church and you're just limited in time. You can't read everything, but let me tell you, you are responsible for everything that comes into your church. Um, and, and so you've got to find a way to, to kind of help guard people. Um, you know, Hebrews, it's interesting. I, I do hear some pastors go to Hebrews, um, to talk about the fact that congregation members are meant to submit to their elders, but I actually like to bring the passage up for the other reason, because it says the reason is because the elders are responsible for looking wow. after their souls. In fact, it says they have to give an account to yeah. God for their souls. And so if I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and you're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for the souls of the people that he's entrusted to us, if you can't touch every book and material that comes into your church, then better find healthy resources that we can trust that have done the work that we can't do. And so that's why I just bring up ministries like Grace to You or, or G3. Um, so anyway, I hope that's been helpful. Any last thoughts as we close this off here, Eki? No, a lot, a lot of, um, good and, and rich information from this, a lot to think about. Um, but th- this is our life here in this world. We're to protect ourselves from, um, from those who would, uh, would, would ravage the, the flock. Uh, we have a responsibility as pastors and ultimately we want to glorify God and we glorify God by holding firm to his truth and encouraging our flock to do the same. So this this is this is what matters. And if you're finding that you're way too busy in your ministry, maybe maybe look at what you're doing in your ministry and, and start to reprioritize what is truly important because we can easily make ourselves busy with things that are less important and neglect the things that are most important. And most importantly, we must start with the ministry of the word of God. Amen. Well, guys, I hope this has been helpful to you, both to those who are in ministry and those who are faithful Christians attending um, attending faithful churches. So just a reminder, if you uh, prefer YouTube, you can follow us there. 
um, truth be known, I think is the tag, the, that information would be in the show notes. And again, we'd love to get your emails. Uh, we, we'd love to rejoice with you if God's used our podcast in your life to encourage you or equip you in some way. We'd love to hear your testimony and your story. And until next time, let the truth. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.